Have you ever felt overwhelmed? I get overwhelmed so easily. Do you ever get overwhelmed? Have you ever been overwhelmed by life? I had all five of my grandchildren at my house at the same time. That's overwhelming. They all have these um, incredible personalities, all of them. There's not one without a personality. And then we added a golden doodle to the mix. There is so much personality. I mean, it was like my house was just thriving and bursting with personality. And I don't know who to look at. You know, do I look at Judah, who's writing me another story and trying to read it out loud, complete with illustrations, and one of me? Do I look at my, you know, seven-year-old Judah, or do I look at my five-year-old Hudson, who loves to sing constantly and show me little dances that he's made to his songs, or little Evelyn, who takes over the room at two years old? And, oh, she is just so cute. She has a song for everything that goes on. You know, calm down, calm down. Count two, three. Don't you feel better? I mean, everything has a song. And you're like, oh, she's so cute. They're all so cute. And then there is, you know, Cade, who's now 15 and a half. He'll be 16 on the cusp of manhood. And you want to encourage him and tell him, you know, you stay being a godly young man. And he wants to tell grandma about some of the hardships that he's encountering in school and the non-Christians. You're like, oh, this child needs me. And then there's Ryder, who's 10 years old. And because he kind of is quiet, you worry a little bit more about him. Are you getting enough attention? You know, I'm telling you, if five grandchildren can overwhelm me, What am I going to do when I go out to the market? I mean, there is just so much to be overwhelmed. Perhaps you've been overwhelmed by the gaping need to get the gospel out to people. I was listening um, to my father this morning as I was on my way to church, and he was talking about how now there are less people that have heard the gospel than 100 years ago. With all our evangelistic you know, efforts, there are less people, there are more people that need to hear the gospel than ever. And we can see so many people, you know, when I'm at an airport, when I'm at a crowded place, I see people who need Jesus. I was in line, we were going through passport, we were with the group coming back from Israel, and, and just right as we came, you know, it looked like we were going to be able to get through passport. And then two other um, airplanes were letting out at the same time. And there was this huge convergence of people, you know, all these people. And there we were with this whole group of people. And you know, the, the natural aspect is people. People are keeping me from the passport office and my luggage and getting home to my bed. And you can you know, almost be resentful of, of people. You know, people are on the freeway right now impeding my progress. And the Lord spoke to my heart because I was about to go into my people attitude. And the Lord said, yes, and I died for each one of them. Like, yes. They need to know. I was like, do you want me to preach in line right now? Like, you know, just let me know. But it was that thought. I just started smiling at all the people in line and just praying. Lord, for this group, they'll never even know who prayed for them so that they came to salvation. But I'm praying and I'm interceding for them right now. 
I remember being in England, just walking down the street and being overwhelmed by there's so many people. And we had gone to England to bring the gospel, you know, to start a church that preached the Bible and believed in the work of the Spirit. And being on those streets, you know, seeing all those people, I was so overwhelmed. There's a song by the Beatles, look at all the lonely people, where do they all come from? And that was my thought, even as I was writing on the tube, nobody talks to each other in London. They all, you know, stare at their phones or, you know, they don't make eye contact. And it just all these lonely people and the need, the need to get the gospel to all of these people became so great. Have you ever been overwhelmed by warfare? It seems that the efforts, in fact, it doesn't just seem, it is. The efforts of the devil are relentless, aren't they? I mean, it just comes like these endless waves of the sea. You feel this constant attack on your mind. Condemnation. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You really think the Lord loves you? What makes you think the Lord loves you? What makes you think Jesus is real? What makes you think your sins are covered? There's attack on you physically. It's sick. Every time I'm sick, it seems like the devil just takes the opportunity to yell at me. And just overwhelms. There's a condemnation. Then there is the attack of unexpected bills. He capitalizes on these things. Or the appliance is breaking. It doesn't seem like spiritual warfare when your washing machine breaks. You're like, the devil hates me. My washing machine won't work. Perhaps people are mean to you. Your friends seem at a distance. Or anger comes out of nowhere. I was shopping in Sprouts two years ago, and my line was really long, and a new cashier opened up, and he says, they know me at Sprouts because I'm in there every day because I'm not that organized. So the cashier said, hey, Cheryl, come here. So I got in his line, and this other guy who was in line in front of me, he grabbed his stuff off the conveyor belt and took it over there, and he said, this is my place. And I said, yes, it is. You were in front of me. Go ahead. That's fine. And he said, of course, it's fine. This is my place. And I said, yes. Well, what about, I said, and you can have it. I'm I'm sorry. He goes, yeah, you're the most self-centered person I've ever met. I'm like, I am? And he said, yes, look at all those other people in line. And you just step over. And I look at the other people and they're like, And I said, well, they're welcome to come over here. And he, and he just kept it up. He just kept saying the meanest things to me. I don't even know this guy. I've never seen him before in my life. I said, would you like me to get out of this line and go over there? And he said, oh, you just do what you want. You do anyway. I'm like, I always, he goes, you always do just what you want. And I'm like, I do? Okay. So I got out of the line, went and stood behind four other people. None of those people would get out of the long line to go over to the other one. But it just came out of nowhere. And you know, I'm walking with my cart to my, do I always just do the things I want? I don't even think I like to shop at the market. But you know, the condemnation, it just came out of nowhere. Are you ever overwhelmed by the need of people? There's always someone in need. And it never seems like you can help enough or comfort enough. I'd love to make hospital calls. I'd love to do it. But, you know, time comes in and I can't do it. Or, you know, someone goes, thank you for praying for me. And you're like, right. Lord, hopefully, no. Yes. You know, there's just such overwhelming need. Are you overwhelmed by the work in your life? 
Doesn't it seem like there's always work? I don't know about you, but every night when I go to bed and wake up the next morning, there's a bed to be made. Every morning, there's that bed, and it needs to be made. I know it's so funny. I have hot flashes, right? I'm just going to be honest with you. I am at that stage. And so I'll throw off all the blankets. And you know, Brian's like freezing cold because I won't let the heater be on. So he rolls up in the blankets. Then when I, you know, when the hot flash is over and you're trying to get your blankets back, it's like, hey, you know, you snooze, you lose. And I'm just trying to get my blankets back. But there's always dishes, always dishes in my sink. No matter how many times I do the dishes, It seems like there's a new dish or you thought you did all the dishes. You just started that load in the dishwasher and you go upstairs and there's three coffee cups and they're yours and you forgot them. There's always, and I don't know why Brian tends to do this. He'll look at me in the morning. We're just waking up and he'll say, what's for dinner? (laughs) Well, let me get my first cup of coffee first and then we'll chat. You know, uh, Kathleen Keyes was telling me about a, a mug that the, it says, shh, at the very top, shh. Second one says, like, almost there. And then once the cup is down to a quarter full, it says, now you may speak. <laughs> There's always laundry, right? To be collected, to be washed, to be folded, to put away. There's dusting, which I really, really hate vacuuming, which I actually like, and cleaning. And I want to tell you something. I want to be so much more than I am. How many of you would would just love to be so much more than you are? I would love to be, to God, an evangelist. I would love to be one of those people that just has that easy ability. You know how some people, they just start sharing Jesus? You're like, how did you? do that. You're like, I wish I'd taken notes. I wish I was a better apologist. I learned these incredible Bible facts. Then I meet somebody who needs them. I'm like, "Mm -hmm. I know I know one. And they just, I'd like to be a better teacher. I'd like to be a better servant. I would love to be such a great servant. I'd like to make it to every service at Calvary, especially when my husband's preaching. I want to be there. But my energy level is prohibitive. And I've got a lot of energy. But there are days, I'm just not a night person. And I'm literally having to keep myself awake at night past 6.30. (laughs) And my brain level can only take in so much. You know, it used to be that my brain had a larger capacity to take in. Now it's like, could you give me a, a tablespoon at a time? Because it's so hard for me to ingest in my brain. My age, oh my goodness, my age limits me in in so many things. And money, my resources, what I'm able to do. I want to be so much more to God's people than I am. I would like to be available, accessible, a friend to everybody. I know so many people, I'd love to be their best friend. Yeah, I wrapped my arms around this this woman I know, and I said, if I had more time and you lived closer, I'd be your best friend. And she's like, and what is your name? But anyway. (laughs) I'd love to be a healer. I, I, I wish I was a nurse. I love nurses. 
I get sick from smells though. Nurses are the most amazing people. They, they have this ability to breathe just through their mouth and just help you with everything you need, even though you smell really bad. I just, I wish I could be a healer. Yeah, I wish I knew what to do with different cuts and bruises and rashes. I wish I knew which rash meant what. Brain is a really good rash discerner. I am not. It's like, that's a rash. I know that much. It's red. I would like to be so much of a better comforter, a better help. And then in life itself, oh my goodness, I would like to be, I would like to have a really clean house 24-7. I would like all my meals to be delicious and healthy and no calories. I'd like to fold clothes really well and know what drawers they belong in. But things come at me so quickly, one right after another. So how does Jesus speak to this desire to be so much more than we are and to the overwhelming need that we sense and see around us? Well, in Luke chapter 10, he is going to give us four practices to meet the needs of life. And these practices are prayer, praise, passion, and priority to God's word. What is supposed to be our reaction to the need of the world for salvation? Luke 10, 1 through 16. There are times when we look out and we see a people that are open and ripe for the gospel. And sometimes when we see people that are open and ripe for the gospel, our tendency is to panic. What can I do? How can I meet this need? How can I teach every child in Sunday school? I hear about release time education. I'm like, I want to do that so desperately. But I don't have the time. But I can do this. As Jesus said, when you see the harvest, when you see the white fields, when an opportunity opens up, it's not that you're supposed to run into that field. You're not always the one called to meet the need, but all of us are called to pray. All of us are called to pray. And who are we to pray to? The Lord of the harvest. You see, God prepares the harvest. God is the one who plant, who sows and, and waters and fertilizes and brings the increase and ripens it with his son. He's the one that opens eyes and makes hearts receptive. He's the Lord of the harvest. And we're to pray for the laborers, those who will go into the harvest. In Luke 10, 1 through 16, we read that Jesus sends 70 men out into the villages of Israel. They're sent out in pairs. That makes 35 pairs. And they're sent to the places that he is about to go. I love that. You see, we pray to the Lord of harvest who prepares the harvest for the place. And then we get to be a part of it or the labors by going into it. And then the spirit of Jesus is going to come. As David said in Psalm 139, he besets me behind and before the Lord of harvest. 
So he sends them out in pairs. And the disciples are to prepare the hearts of the people to receive Jesus. Again, the Lord of the harvest has gone before them, made the fields ripe, and the Lord of salvation will soon come. And Jesus has specific instructions for those who are going out. One, an awareness, awareness of who they are. They're lambs. They're not tigers. They're not lions. They're not bears. You don't want the gospel. <laughs> yeah, we had this man who was a greeter in London. In fact, we had to remove him from being the, Lond- the greeter for our church because he'd say, come in all who are thirsty, all who are in need. And somebody said, no, thank you. He goes, well, then go to H-E double toothpicks. So we had to remove him. We tried to remind him that he was a lamb, but he kept forgetting that. We need an awareness that we're lambs among wolves. There also has to be an absolute dependency on faith. The the laborers need to remember that they're lamb among wolves. They need an absolute dependency on Jesus. Faith, carry no extra money, no extra sack, no extra sandals. Then they need to give attention to the task, not to talk to anyone on the road, not to get distracted, but to get to the destination, to keep the objective, the objective. Even when you're sharing your faith, um, often people will try to get you sidetracked on other things, but to keep the essential, the essential. I don't know about that, but I know that Jesus Christ died for my sins and rose again from the dead and now sits on the right hand of the Father. I don't know too much about that, but I do know this. You see, the gospel itself has the power. Then the labors, we need to pray for their attitude. They are to bless the houses they enter. And that word um, peace, shalom, shalom. And it means more than just peace. It means health and blessing. And they are to pray God's blessing to rest upon the houses that are receptive. But to remove God's blessing from the houses that are unreceptive. We'll take God's blessing with us. And we can do this by knowing that Jesus will deal with the unreceptive. As Jesus said in verse 16, he who hears you, hears me. He rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Then there is the activity of the laborers. They were not to move from house to house. They were to accept hospitality, accept the food that was given them, heal the sick, tell the people that the kingdom of God is here. It's come near. It's time. And then to wipe the dust off their feet in the cities that didn't accept them. No wonder the laborers need prayer because the harvest is ripe. And there's still a need for laborers. There are those among us who have that special gift of evangelism. And we need to pray that they might recognize their calling. Pray that they would be directed to the harvest. Pray for their awareness that they would realize that they're lamb among wolves. Pray for their absolute dependency on the Lord's spirit that they wouldn't start to move in their own strength or in their own wisdom. Pray for attention to the mission, concentration, not to get distracted, not to get detoured, not to get sidetracked. Pray for their attitude, not to be lifted up, 
not to shame, but to be a blessing every place they go and pray for their activity, the evangelism that they'll do and handling rejection. As we pray, we become participants in the harvest. This is how we enter in, by praying for the laborers that God would raise them up, that God would bless them. So then what is our response to spiritual warfare? Luke 10, 17 through 24. Well, I have seen two wrong reactions to spiritual warfare. Wrong action number one, and that's to hide, to cower, or be intimidated at the devil's power. I know people who have stopped praying because they felt warfare when they prayed for that subject. And because they didn't want to be bothered or have the enemy hassle them, they stopped praying for that specific thing. I think if you start praying for something and you start going through warfare, you're like, progress. Somebody's upset because somebody's losing the battle. But I know people that have left the mission, you know, witnessing or um, ministering to somebody because the warfare got so intense. And so they thought, you know what? I don't need all this extra warfare in my life. I'm going to draw back. I know other people that have resigned from ministry because of warfare. I remember sitting with a young couple. I said, now, do you still have the fellowship in this one place? And they're like, no. And she started telling me about the warfare. And I looked at her and I said, don't you know that that's typical? That is par for the course. Everybody goes through that. Peter said that we need to be sober and vigilant, remembering that our enemy, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. And then in the next verse, he says, remember that the rest of the body is going through the same thing. I think one of the reasons that we don't persevere through warfare often is because we think we're the only ones who are going through this or we've done something wrong and we don't realize it's par for the course. But when you start getting the warfare, you've just been exalted to threat level on the devil's calendar. You're at a threat level. And if you're at a threat level, that's because he knows victory by Jesus Christ is imminent. You've probably heard it said before that in the list of the spiritual armory that we're given in Ephesians chapter 6, that there's no armor for retreat. It's only for advancement. When we retreat, when we allow ourselves to cower or be intimidated or to draw back, do you know what we do? We give the devil territory. He doesn't lessen. He intensifies. He says, well, I can get them by this method. Every time they pray, I'm just going to do this. And they'll stop. And you're removed from the threat level. And you are going to be defeated. So that's a wrong reaction. We must remember that Jesus has already dealt with Satan His power is diminished. He's already been removed from heaven. And in Jesus' name, we have the authority, the commission, the service, the testimony, access to God. And when we say Jesus' name, we're not just 
saying, we're going to use this title, Jesus, Jesus. Um, we know the sons of Sceva in the book of Acts. They were these itinerant Jews who went around trying to cast out demons. And they said to this one demon, we implore you by Jesus whom Paul preaches to be removed from this man. The demon said, I know Paul. I know Jesus, but I don't know you. And went after them and they fled naked. So unless you want to flee naked, we need to know that when we're talking about Jesus' name, we're talking about the person and the work and the testimony of Jesus Christ. We're talking about the whole person, not just the title, not just his name. You know, just saying Jesus, Jesus, Jesus doesn't do you any good. It is when we are saying it in response to who he is, when we are calling upon that person, the son of God, the Messiah, our rescuer, our salvation, the one who has conquered death and swallowed it up in victory. That's the name that we go out in the authority of. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore in my name and make disciples of all men. In Jesus' name, we have authority over demons, serpents, which I take to be the temptations of the devil. Think about Eve with the serpent. We don't have to give in to the temptations. We have authority over the scorpions, the intimidations, the sting, the places where the devil says, I'm going to cause you pain. We have authority, all power, all the power of the enemy, we have authority over through Jesus. But now here's the wrong reaction. There's a wrong reaction when we take that authority and we become overly occupied with the devil. When we're trying to take on the devil ourselves, when we begin to taunt the devil, you know, saying, ha, 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 you know. In fact, we're told in Jude, Jude says, don't do that. You know, don't speak against the devil. Don't bring a railing accusation. Even Michael, the archangel of God, when he was contending with the devil, he said, the Lord rebuke you. If Michael, who's, who's no doubt on the same par as Satan as an angel, who is still glorified by heaven, did not take on the devil himself, isn't it wise that we should not take on the devil ourselves, but give the devil to Jesus who cast him out of heaven? I have seen Christian leaders literally taunt the devil. I have heard them praying to God in one breath and then saying, and now devil, you get out of here. Leave me alone. You know, we don't converse with the devil. That's not a good idea. I only know one person in the Bible besides Jesus who conversed with the devil and it did not go well. And all our problems are from that conversation. We don't converse with the devil. We converse with Jesus and let him deal with the devil. We can give too much attention to the devices, character, and person of the devil. We can elevate the devil by, by talking about him, by too much talk about spiritual Warfare. Our preoccupation 
is to be that our names are written in the book of life. This is to be our preoccupation. To know that we have this sense of belonging and security. Rather than giving any attention to the devil, because I'm going to tell you, he likes positive and negative attention. Doesn't matter which one he gets. He likes it all. We are to be praising the Lord. This is to be our response to warfare, praise. In 2 Chronicles 20, verse 19, when the enemy was coming and Jehoshaphat had no army, had been defeated, dissolved by being in the wrong place, the wrong warfare, he said, Lord, we do not have a strategy. We don't have anything to fight this this horde, this multitude that's coming against us. But our eyes are on you. And then Hananiah the prophet stood up and said, the battle is not yours, but the Lord. And so they made the battle arrangement that the singers would go in front of the armies, praising and singing to the Lord. And we're told from the moment that they began to praise the Lord. The Lord set ambushes against the enemy so that the enemy actually destroyed itself. That is the power of praise. Praise is our response to warfare, and praise increases our own faith. It reminds us of who God is and what he's done. There is such power in praise Satan is absolutely repulsed when we praise the Lord. He hates to hear God praised. In Luke 10, 17 through 24, Jesus gives us 10 reasons to praise God. One, praise God that he has dealt with Satan. Praise God for his high authority. Praise God for Jesus' name. Praise God that he is sovereign over heaven and earth. Praise God that he has revealed to us babes the greatness of his person. Not to the wise or prudent of this world. But that the qualification for revelation is simply faith. Praise God that he has given everything to Jesus. Praise God that Jesus has revealed the father to us. Praise God that our eyes have been opened to see the great things that prophets and kings desire to see. Praise God that he has fulfilled his word and his promises through Jesus. And praise God that Jesus has made the impossible possible. That now the promises of God are ours. We are not called to battle the devil ourselves, but we are called to praise the Lord, to give him praise. And as our preoccupation becomes, my name is written. I belong in the book of life because Jesus has written my name there. And we begin to praise. The enemy will be defeated. So how are we to deal with physical needs around us? Luke 10, 25 through 37. How do you deal with all the need, with the sickness, with the um, financial needs of people? 
I remember years and years and years and years and years ago, uh, Brian was given the junior high ministry here at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And talk about gaping need, junior high. You know, they, they, they just, they're open to temptation. They're these little malleable souls that you just want to mold for Jesus. And, you know, I remember this one girl's like, my mom is so mean to me. My mom is so mean to me. And so Brian and I were like, you can live with us. And then we talked to the mom. Mom was so nice. She was just trying to keep her daughter from danger. But, you know, we can sometimes take unnecessary needs and burdens on ourselves, can't we? And we have to be careful about what, you know, what we take on. So how do we deal with the physical needs around us? It begins with a passion for God. We put God first. We make our objective to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind. We make that our objective. Now, I don't naturally have that kind of love. And when I gave my little heart to Jesus Christ, because I did it at two and three and four and five and six, seven, eight, need I go on all the way up to 56, I have given my heart to Jesus. But you know what? I'll never feel like it's enough. Like I can love Jesus enough for all he's done and all he is. His great condescension to come all the way from heaven and to mingle his divine nature forever with man so man will never be destroyed. To come and rescue me from my sins and my self-destruction and my selfishness and my ugliness. How can I thank Jesus enough for that? How can I love him in response enough? I can't. But this I can do. I can pray to love Jesus. I can ask him to fill me with the passion to love him. And I can open my heart to the Lord. There's a scripture in John 17 verse 26 that gives me, I was reading it. Because this has always been, every time I read, you know, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy um, um, soul, with all thy strength and with all thy mind. I'm always like, Lord, I want to, I want to. You, You can't force love, can you? You can't force it. You can't make it happen. I remember there was a a young man at Calvary who told me he loved me. He asked if I would marry him. He had already asked my mom's permission and my father's permission, and he had gotten it, and he wasn't Brian. In fact, he said, you know, I'm in a car ride with him. I didn't know this was a date. There was supposed to be a whole group of us. And the next thing I knew, it was just him and I in the car. And it was all a setup. And he says, you know, I love you. I want to marry you. Um, I want to date you. And I've already talked to your mother. And I've already talked to your father. And they're fine with us. And I'm just looking. I'm going, such a thought never entered my mind. I, I need to pray about this. You'll give me some time. I went home and I said, Dad. How could you? He said, well, he's a nice guy. He always got this and he's got that. I'm like, but dad, well, you should try. Try, try. Dad, that's not how it happens. Did you try for mom or did you say, whoa, whoa, hold me back? You know, dad? You know, did mom try to love you or did she say, you know, wow. Dad, it's not a trying thing. I can't make myself do this. 
And, and then, of course, I went to my mother. Mother, we need to go out to coffee and have a talk. And she goes, oh, but honey, he was so sweet. And he brought me, mom, I don't care how much chocolate he gave you. Uh-uh, 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 uh You could get mom to do almost anything if you offered chocolate and coffee. It was a very dangerous thing. But, you know, I couldn't make myself love this man. He was a wonderful, awesome, godly man. But I couldn't. Instead, I fell in love with a plumber who surfed. And love Jesus with all his heart. In fact, why I was supposed to be considering this other man and praying about it, that's when I met Brian. And the next thing you know, like five months later, why this man's waiting for my response if I'll go out with him. (laughs) My dad gets up and announces that Cheryl's engaged and the whole church is invited. I did send out invitations. This is so off topic. I did send out invitations to my wedding 36 years ago, 36 and a half years ago. We sent out 250, but my dad decided he wanted to invite the whole church. So I actually have the bulletin with the announcement of my wedding. But it begins with a passion for Jesus. In John 17, 26, Jesus says, Father, The love that you have for me, I pray, would be in them. Who loves Jesus as he deserves to be loved? God. As Jesus said, no man knows the Father, but but the Son. And the ones to whom the Son reveals the Father to. The only way that we can truly love God is through the revelation of Jesus Christ about the Father and the Father putting that love for Jesus in our hearts. For those of you that are striving and condemned about not loving the Lord enough, just let go and let God love Jesus through you. It's that easy. It's that blessed. It's, it's that opening up saying, Father, you love Jesus so much. Use me as that vessel. Fill me with that love. Do this in me. This is Jesus' prayer of intercession for us in John chapter 17. If Jesus prayed it, it's going to happen. It begins with a passion. As we love God, our objective in life, we will begin to love people. Why? Because God loves people. Have you ever noticed when you hang around with someone, you take on their value system? Whatever they like, you begin to like. You know, because of Brian, I love waves. I know what hard rails are and soft rails are on a surfboard. I know why you do twin fins or you have the three fins, the thrusters. I know. I think a thruster is one fin. Don't tell Brian I got that wrong. But you know, I know these things because I have a husband that loves to surf. And it's made me like to look at people dropping into waves and appreciate. I mean, we'll be walking sometimes at the beach. I'll be like, look at that guy. Look at him dropping in. Wow. You know, and I'm like, what is wrong with me? But I've taken on that value system. Um, I've, I've used this illustration so many times, but, you know, I've never really been that into cows. I, I you know, I think they make for good milk, ice cream, and food, cheese. But I had a friend that collected cows. Painted her floor in her kitchen black and white. 
to look like a jersey. She had, you know, she had a cow collection of, you know, she had a creamer that was a cow. Uh, she had, you know, cow pillows, pillows with cows on it. Her, her couch, you know, she had a, she had like a cow rug in her living room. You know, everything was cows. And all of a sudden I, used, I started like, oh, look at the cute little cow, the little stuffed cow animal. I'm like, what is wrong with me? And I even bought a, a pair of cow salt and pepper shakers at Knott's Berry Farm because her value system, I began to take on her value system. No, I didn't paint my kitchen black and white, but I began to appreciate cows like I had never appreciated cows before. You see, the more you're with someone, the more you'll take on their value system. Things that never had value before because they love them so much will now take on value to you. And you'll collect it. I had an aunt who just loved angels. She especially liked the angels that had slingshots in their back pocket. Rascally angels. So, you know, all of a sudden we started noticing angels. Not real ones. Decorative ones. In different things. Especially the rascally ones. If we saw a rascally card, the angel card, we would search for an angel card. Everything had to do with angels. We took on that value system. So this is it. The more you love the Lord, the more you're with the Lord, the more you'll take on his value system. It's not like, I need to love my fellow man. I need to love my fellow man. I need to love my fellow man. You know, darn it, I'm not loving enough. No, just be with Jesus and you will begin to value what he values. Now, this lawyer comes to Jesus, and he's self-righteous. We're told, actually, in Matthew that he is a lawyer, and he's testing Jesus, and there's an insincerity to his question. There's also a desire to justify himself, look good before people, to show people how spiritual he was. But Jesus schools this lawyer. So a conversation ensues, and the lawyer Asked Jesus, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Or what can I, um, how can I merit? How can I deserve eternal life? And Jesus turns it back around and says, well, what do you think? What's your reading of it? What, what would you say? And he quotes Deuteronomy 6, 5. Leviticus 19, 18, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor yourself. And Jesus said, that's right. Do this, and you get to go to heaven. (laughs) But who can do that, right? Who can do that? We need God to do it in us. We need Jesus to put the passion in us. We're told that the lawyer wanting to justify himself because it ends with love your neighbor as yourself, says, who's, who's my neighbor? Well, who's my neighbor? So Jesus tells a parable to show the lawyer his inability to love God without a divine relationship through Jesus. We call it the parable of the good Samaritan, but have you noticed that the Samaritan's never called good? Why? Because he's doing what is expected of men to do. There is a man, he's Jewish. 
he's on his way to Jericho from Jerusalem. And if, if you've ever been to Israel, you know that it's this long pass um, through this um, this wilderness area, this Judean. Now you're passing actually through the Gaza Strip to get down there. It was known for thieves. It was known for its danger, marauders. But it's the only way to get from Jerusalem down to Jericho. So this Jewish man is doing it. When he is mugged and left for dead on the side of the road, he has no money, nothing. He's dying. And we're told that a priest sees him and crosses to the other side of the road, ignoring him. Then a Levite does the same thing. But then a Samaritan, who was actually the enemy of the Jews, they, they had um, the Jews, when they came back after the exile in Babylon, had refused to embrace the Samaritans because they were mixed. They were Jewish and Assyrian, and they were idolaters. They kind of uh, worshiped God along with all sorts of other deities. So that not only had they um, dismissed them, but they became disgusted with them. But now in this parable, Jesus is elevating the Samaritan because he stops to help. He has compassion on the wounded man. He bandages him. And from his own possessions, he pours oil and wine on this man. He puts the man on his own donkey and takes him to an inn and pays for his housing and care. Jesus then asked the lawyer, so you've heard this story, which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And the lawyer answered, he who showed mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. You see, our passion for others and for people comes because Jesus has shown mercy on us. Because at his own expense, he came pouring his oil and his wine upon us and healing our wounds. He risked his own life to take us and to provide for our healing and for our welfare. He showed mercy on us. So we show mercy to others because he first loved us. The more awareness we have of the passion of God for us, the more passionate we will be for God and the more passionate we will be for people. So passion comes through relationship to Jesus Christ. And relationship through Jesus Christ comes through prayer, praise, being in the presence of Jesus, and through the word. So finally, how are we to deal with the cares of this life? And this is no doubt your favorite part of the whole study, these two sisters, Martha and Mary. Now, there are always so many responsibilities and duties beckoning for our attention. When I lived in Vista, I had had, I took care of um, six junior high kids during the, uh, for, for three weeks straight. At the same time, I had two of my own under four. And Brian 
um, had relapsed with his Epstein bar. So everything was falling on me. And I kept, you know, taking the beach towels and the blankets and everything that was being used and throwing them in the garage and the clothes and trying to make their clothes a priority because I only had them for three weeks. And I remember everyone had finally filed out. I just had the two kids and Brian and I were in the garage. I had the garage door open and I had these piles of laundry, blankets, sheets from all the people that had stayed with me. And this young man who's now a Calvary pastor and will remain nameless because I'm still getting over it, looked at Brian and said, wow, Brian, you got to keep your wife from eating the bread of idleness. I was so angry. In fact, that was over 30 years ago. And I met his wife and I told her the whole story so she could spank him. (laughs) You know what she said? She's so sweet. He's actually really nice now. But she said, oh, that sounds just like him. (laughs) And I was like, you too? You know, never look. But... I tried so hard to keep a clean house because we were always having people over. And a pastor's wife, according to the Bible, is to be given to hospitality. That is to be one of her gifts, according to the Bible. She is to be hospitable and let people stay and invite them in. And then, of course, the Bible says if you give, you know, water to a prophet, you'll get a prophet's reward. And I was trying so hard, but it interrupted and it stole my time from my devotional life. And I was talking to an older woman in the fellowship, just saying, I can't get a handle on anything. I can't get a handle on the house. I can't get a handle on the children. I can't get a handle on our finances. I can't get a handle on anything. And I am trying and exerting all my energy and feeling like I'm not making any progress. And I I have no time to read my Bible at all. And she challenged me to put the Bible and my devotional time first. Even if the house was a mess. She said, just put the Bible first. And I began to do that. Every morning, just putting the Bible first. I still do. And it revolutionized everything. My house, my household duties. I didn't even know how it got done. But during my Bible study time, I used to pray that God would give me the power and strength of 10 Amazon women. Not even knowing if that was a biblical prayer or not. But it changed my attitude too. Toward the house and household duties. I no longer was the victim of my house and my housework. But I became the victor. And I would look around going, Lord, you get the glory. Because I can't remember cleaning that. I don't remember the joy. I, I remember before I got the victory on this, um, my daughter, Kristen, was about three. And she picked up one of my rags and she started wiping the table down. And she's going, stupid, stupid table, needing, dusting, stupid, stupid table. I was like, where in the world did she get that attitude? And I realized I was bringing, it was such a wise woman builds her house, but the fool brings it down with their own hands. 
I was that woman. Bringing it down with my own hands so that my daughter at three already had an attitude against housework. I don't know that we're over that yet, but I needed a change. And you know, when I started with Jesus in the word, everything changed. It was Lord, thank you for this table. Thank you that you cleaned the table. It changed everything, literally. This is the experience of these two sisters that we read about in Luke 38 through 42. It's not that housework is bad. It's not. But God wants to revolutionize our housework. We're told that Martha and Mary lived in Bethany. And Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. This word welcomed is the word hypodikamai. And it means received as a guest, enjoyed, showed hospitality too. It was Martha who invited Jesus in. It was Martha who saw Jesus. Martha who asked Jesus into the home. Then we're told that Martha and Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. In fact, it says Mary also sat at the feet of Jesus. Implying that they both were there and Mary copied Martha in sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary also sat. They were both there at the feet of Jesus. And we're told that they heard his word, that Mary heard akus, that, that word we studied a couple weeks ago, to listen and to receive. But then we're told Martha got distracted, perespeo, drawn away, driven about mentally, overly occupied, too busy with much serving. You ever get distracted away from Jesus? Have you ever? I don't know if you have this experience, but during your devotions, you're reading the Bible. The Lord begins to just speak a really precious message to you. And something says, laundry. Did you remember to wash the blue shirt or is it still got that stain? Did you treat it or is that stain going to stay? Now, do you really ever care about laundry? Does it ever become a priority like it does when you're trying to spend time alone with Jesus? Or you have these random thoughts. Don't forget to pick up green beans at the market. It's like, what? You're going to forget. No, I'm not. Let me read my Bible. No, I know you. You're going to forget the green beans. No, I won't. Yes, you will. You should go get the green beans now. But I'm reading. You'll forget them for sure. You're a green bean forgetter. That's who you are. You won't remember this. You're like, green beans, green beans, green beans. I want to read my Bible. Green beans. I will forget the green beans. I must go now and get the green beans or life will be over without green beans. Yeah, we do that, don't we? I mean, that's how it comes at us. And all of a sudden, green beans. Like the world's going to fall apart tomorrow and implode if we forget those green beans. We're distracted away from the feet of Jesus. Carol McClure, who used to do the prayer ministry at Calvary, I went to a class, a workshop she did one year on, on your personal devotions. And she said, always keep a list next to you so that you can write that thing that the enemy's trying to distract you from 
the word from, like right green beans. So you won't forget, you know, get the stain out. Write that. You know, you remember something that's needed at the market, just write it on that other list. And keep that one right there so you can stay in the word of God and make that your second. You'll do this, and then later, you'll take care of that. So Persepeo, she was distracted. This change in priority, this distraction from listening to the word of Jesus caused Martha to catch Marthitis. Here are the symptoms of Marthitis. In case you think you might have caught it before, it's a virus, it's going around, it's respiratory. You're angry. You just get angry. You're resentful of others. Hmm. Hmm. You accuse Jesus of not caring. Your prayers are, Lord, don't you care? Instead of like, Lord, could you send me help? Could you give me the power of 10 Amazon women? See, it is a good prayer. Instead, you're like, Lord, don't you care? The feeling of being isolated. I'm the only one doing it right. The feeling of being overly responsible for the work being accomplished. If I don't do this, nobody else will. There's nobody who can do it as well, as thoroughly as I can do it. If I don't do it, there's nobody. The feeling of being indispensable. I'm so necessary. Worried about many things. High anxiety. Anxious. That word worried can be translated anxious that you're anxious. And don't you see this? It's not just worried about one thing. Isn't it weird how, how prolifically worry breeds? You start with one worry, and the next thing, you're worried about a million things. Worry breeds. So then you become worried about many things. And then, as Jesus said, troubled, disturbed, disquieted. You're troubled. It's not, nothing's settling right with you. It's like you're churned up. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care? I think she said it that way. But of course, in either Hebrew or Aramaic, I'm not quite sure. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone. And then this, you get very militant and commanding with Jesus. You're doing directed prayers, not receptive prayers. Lord, I've got a plan for you and for everybody else's life. Tell her to help me. Lord, you tell that person to help me, to get on my page. And you want to direct the life of other people and tell them what God wants them to do. That's Marthitis. 
It's very infectious. Wear a mask. There's only one antidote, one remedy, one antibiotic that you can take for Marthitis. One thing, and that's to prioritize the Word of God, to make that the priority above everything. I started saying to my kids, when they come in, I was having my devotions and they wanted something. I'd look at them and I said, do you want a nice mommy or a mean mommy? And they're like, a nice mommy, a nice mommy. So they'd leave me alone. And I would finish reading my Bible. Yes, I do believe in psychological warfare. But I remember this one time. It was morning time, and the kids were doing something. And I don't know what my attitude was, but I remember Kristen turning to me for and saying, Mommy, have you read your Bible yet? <laughs> See, others can tell. They can tell. In fact, um, in chapter 12 of John, we're told that Mary, who's again at the feet of Jesus. Do you know whenever we meet Mary in the Gospels, she always is at the feet of Jesus? But in John chapter 12, there she is at the feet of Jesus. She's anointing Jesus. And we're told that the fragrance filled the house. This was the effect, the, the effect of Mary's worship. This is the effect of hearing the word of God. It leads to worship, and that fragrance has an effect on everybody, an effect on everybody. The remedy. One thing is needed. I have to just say that. I love this, that he says, Martha, Martha. Why? Because the first Martha didn't count. When you got Marthitis, even when the Lord is calling you, you don't hear it the first time. He has to get your attention because you're so distracted with the serving, so distracted with your cause, so distracted with the work, so filled with the virus that he has to say it twice. Martha, Martha, Cheryl, Cheryl. He has to get our attention. There's only one essentiality in life. And that's to hear the word of Jesus. Without hearing Jesus' word, everything else falls short. This one thing, this is the only thing that won't be taken away. The only thing. Jesus' word is the only thing that we can keep forever, even after the grave. It's eternal. Housework, this is going to be a real blow to some of you, will not last the other day, I just finished scrubbing the floor. Barnabas, my golden doodle, who is huge, wanted out. And Brian let him out. I said to Brian, do not let the dog out. He said, okay. Then he let the dog out. He said, don't worry, his paws aren't dirty. It was dark. I, w I went up to bed. I got up the next morning. Now, before I'd gone to bed, I had scrubbed the whole floor down. I get up, and there are muddy paw prints every place. I knew exactly what Barnabas had done that evening. He had, he had circled my kitchen island and he had shaken the mud off because there were sprinkles on all the cabinets. He had gone by my kitchen table because there were muddy sprinkles all over my computer. I knew every place he had been. You see, that work that I had done the evening before had been taken away from me. And more work was given. More work. 
And I could choose. I could choose to read my Bible, spend that time with Jesus, and I did. I prioritized. And then when Brian came downstairs, I handed him a washcloth and a bottle of pledge. I took one myself and I said, we're a couple. We've got a couple of couple retreats coming up. We're going to do this together so you can be an example. Mary put the highest priority on Jesus' word. And yes, it got her into temporary trouble with her sister. But in the end, she was defended, commended, and held up as an example by Jesus. There is no need to be overwhelmed by life. As believers, our answer to the needs around us is, one, pray for the harvest and pray to the Lord of harvest. Two, praise the Lord. Let your preoccupation, your occupation be praising the Lord. Seek to be passionate about the Lord and put a priority on the word of Jesus. As we do these four simple things, God will work and take care of the harvest. Our hearts, the need around us, and all the work. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness through prayer, praise, passion, and prioritizing the word, and all these things will be added unto you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you have not only told us, but you have shown us Thank you for these living examples from your word. Now, Lord, I pray that you would work in us. Lord, that you would work on us and in us and through us and by us, Lord. That we might be women of prayer. That we might be women of praise. That we might be women of passion and women who put a priority on your word. Thank you for these that are here because they are those women. And so I just pray that you would just ignite them even more through Jesus Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.